not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We thank you for this text. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to open it to our hearts and to minister it to us, Father. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, we've talked before about some of the more controversial scriptures. This probably this morning, verse 1 particularly, is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. And... We don't really like to be judged, do we? So we'll pull this verse out and we'll say, don't judge me. Well, this morning we want to look at what this verse really means, what these verses really means. You know, when someone confronts us with something, we are one of our first in defense, we'll say, who are you to tell me what to do? This morning, as I said, we want to bring some clarity to this subject. We want to first look at what judgment is. What is the judgment that Christ is talking about in this text? We're going to look at what it isn't. What this judgment isn't. What it is not referring to. And then we want to look at what we are really charged to do. What we are asked to do. What we are created to do. And how we approach others and how we process when others approach us. Text opens with, judge not. Well, what does it mean to judge? The Amplified Version of the Bible, and you've heard me use the translation before, it's a pretty wordy version. It uses a lot of adjectives to define words within the text. It says, do not judge and criticize and condemn others. You see, what Jesus is forbidding in this text is the self-righteousness, the I'm better than you and I'm going to prove it, the pushy attitudes where you've got to listen to me. Why wouldn't you listen to me? I'm right. I'm the one who knows what you need to do. The just do it attitude. What are you waiting for? What's your problem? Why don't you just do it and get it over with? The hasty and hurry up attitude. The unmerciful, relentless, you know, the tactics of putting pressure on people to not even give them time to think, to give them time to process. To just tell them, basically, how ridiculous are you? You know that I'm right. Why don't you just accept it? That's the type of judgment that Jesus is addressing in this text. The prejudice and narrow-minded attitude where my perspective is the only perspective and you need to follow my perspective. The undeserved condemnation, not even 
being willing to understand why the person is doing what they're doing, but to just cast a very quick judgment and to cast them aside. The, this is the judgment that Jesus is saying, judge not. It's based on human standards and human understanding. Very limited. James chapter 4, starting in verse 11. James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Judgment like this, judgment that Jesus is calling out, judgment that James is calling out, is blasphemous, to use a biblical term. Basically meaning offensive to God, offensive to God. To judge people in this manner, this self-centered manner, is offensive to God. Why? Because it sets us up as God. We're telling God, we're telling people that we know more than God does. And there is only one true judge. Whenever we assign people to condemnation, remember condemnation is death, finality. They will exist no more. They are judged for eternity. When we do that without mercy, because they don't do something the way we think they should do it, or because we believe their motives are wrong without investigation, without searching out their motives, or we just simply want to put them in our place to make ourselves feel better, we pass judgment that only God is qualified to make. Jesus was calling this behavior out because the Pharisees were extremely guilty of this type of judgment. This self-righteous, egotistical, and unmerciful condemnation of others. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Luke, okay, yeah, Luke chapter. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This Pharisee was calling out all these other sins and particularly pointed out this one individual lifting himself up. He was displaying self-righteousness in its purity, in its essence. His primary concern, the Pharisees' primary concern, anyone who judges in this manner's primary concern is not to help others from sin to holiness. That's not their goal. It's not to help that person improve, but to condemn them to eternal judgment because of actions and attitudes that did not match with their own worldly, self-made traditions. Because that's what the scribes and Pharisees were guilty of. They had the law and then they added to it and added to it over the centuries with their spoken traditions. And then they tried to make people live up to those traditions. 
not just God's rules, not just God's commands, but mostly their own spoken traditions, man-made rules. John chapter 7, verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The fact of the matter is, we as individuals, human beings, cannot judge motives simply by appearances. Fruits tell us a lot, but that should not be where we end. Appearances are not always as they seem. I know that's an old cliche, but it is true. Appearances don't always and often don't tell us the true motives of a person's heart. It may be ignorance. It may be a lack of knowledge, speaking of ignorance. It may very well be sin. But there is more legwork to be done. We are not to judge individuals simply by appearance. Motives are a heart issue. And when we make snap judgments, when we make judgments based on our own standards, we're not getting to the heart. And as I said, things are not always as they appear in someone's heart. We often judge others' actions based on our own motives. We often measure others based on how, why we would do what they've done. We'll say, I know why they did that, because I know why I would do that. I know why they would go there, because I know why I would go there. I know why they would say that because I know why I would say that. You see, that's we try to base and, and discern other people's intentions based on why we would do the things that they have done. This is the type of shallow judgment that Jesus is calling out. This is the type of judgment that we push back against. It's based on what would be called a subjective standard. Subjective meaning individual preference, individual feelings, what we want or what we think is right, and maybe not necessarily what is true and right. It's based a lot on our feelings, on our emotions. We are all capable of this. We can actually have tendencies toward this and are often guilty of this. We push others down because it gives the illusion of lifting us up. When we judge people in this way, we make it all about us and what we want. And we end up doing what Paul warns us of from our call to worship scripture. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. That's the type of judgment that Jesus is talking about. You see, we have a gift. We don't have to base our interpretations of what we are supposed to do in obedience off of other people's opinions. We have God's standard. But yet we try to impose our interpretations on other people. Yes, there is truth that needs to be held, and we're going to get to that. But our interpretations must be pure and right. Yeah, there are gray areas that Paul talks about. You read Romans chapter 14. But are those areas gray because we want them to be gray so we can do what we want? 
Or are they gray because we're still seeking to understand exactly what we are supposed to do? There's a difference. Sometimes we like to make things intentionally gray. But praise God that when we are discerning the motives of other people, we have a gold standard. We have His nature, His commands to stand on. Yet we try to impose our standards, our man-made standards on people. And that's when it's called judging. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about, this self-righteous, self-centered judgment. Now we want to talk a little bit about what he's not talking about in this text. And what we're going to talk about now is one of the hardest things to do as a Christian, but one of the most important things we are called to do. And that is to call each other out on our sins. You say, but Kevin, we have to love people. And in confronting their sin, it doesn't feel very loving. To refuse to rebuke sin is actually a form of hatred and not love. Refusing to warn a person about his sin is just as unloving as refusing to warn he or she about a serious disease that they may have. There is help that can be had. There is help available. And to not point them in the direction of truth is in effect condemning them to eternity away from God. A person who does not warn a friend about his sin cannot claim love as his motive. Matthew chapter 18, which we'll get to later as we continue through Matthew and we'll handle it in more detail, but the this particular section starts in verse 15. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So you see, that's the goal. To gain our brothers and sisters. To bring them into the kingdom. To restore them into a life of obedience. For their good and God's glory. It's not to destroy them or to condemn them or to push them down. James chapter 5, starting in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. We're not the Savior, but we point them to the Savior. And it will cover a multitude of sins. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Why would we not want to do that? You see, in order to set someone on the right path, they have to know that they're on the wrong path. And in some cases, we'll say, well, they were raised in the church. They know better. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about telling the drowning man all he has to do is swim. At that moment, they don't remember how to swim. When someone is steeped in sin, their conscience is seared. Their judgment is clouded. They need someone to help them through the clouds, lovingly and mercifully. 
That's what we're called to do. That's why we're a part of the greater body of Christ. To glorify God and to help each other. So why do we run from it? Why do we say it's too hard to help someone? Why do we make the choice not to confront it? Why do we go to someone else and say, do you know what so-and-so is doing? You need to talk to them. Why are we so scared? Jesus isn't dismissing our responsibility when he says, do not judge. You see, he's addressing a misuse of that responsibility. So then what are we supposed to do? If we're not supposed to judge self-righteously, but we are supposed to confront sin, what does that look like? How do we do that? Chapter 7, verse 5. says, you hypocrite. There's that word again. Remember, basically means actor. Stop acting like you're so righteous and pious and great and wonderful and obedient to me. Jesus is saying, just stop it. Let's get real. He says, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Our self-righteous judgment brings judgment upon us. Brings judgment upon us from our peers. They will use the same measure on us that we use on them. That's what Jesus is warning us about. When we live in glaring hypocrisy, people don't see God, they see us. They don't look past us to what God wants. They only see us and how imperfect and sinful and wretched we are. And they're not motivated to do anything of a better response. Because then they are judging themselves compared to our actions and our attitudes. Again, they measure us the same way that we measure them. And they quickly dismiss us when we make it all about us. It's probably the biggest stumbling block when it comes to addressing the sin in other people. The main reason that we run from the responsibility of doing it. We don't, quote, tell others what to do because we don't want them to tell us what to do. We know that they're going to use the same measure against us and we're not willing to let go of the things that we don't want to let go of. Not consciously, but subconsciously in many cases, we're not trying to improve ourselves, but we can, and we don't necessarily see it in ourselves, but we see it plainly in others, don't we? You say, well, Kevin, do I have to be perfect before I address sin in other people? I hope not, and I know we're not, because if that were the case, no sin would get confronted by another person on this earth, because no one's perfect. There was only one perfect man. He died. He was killed and was resurrected so that his righteousness would be imputed upon us so that we don't have to be perfect to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but we have to surrender our lives to his finished work and we need to lovingly point others to that finished work. The key is humility. Perfection is impossible, but humility is the key. Not a false humility, Look at me. Look how humble I am. Look at how willing I am to make sure everyone sees the sacrifices that I'm making. That's a false humility. 
No, it's a genuine humility where in our hearts we know that we're not worthy. We know that we're not good enough. We know that we're not perfect. And in humility, we go to the other person because we want to help them. Not because of anything that it gains us. Jesus says, first take the log out. Basically, call your sin, sin. People see it. People know it. It's manifested where it's easy for people to see. We need to die to that sin daily. Remind ourselves of our wretchedness. Remind ourselves of our tendencies. Give them to God. Allow ourselves to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be in the process of being made holy. And when our hearts are turned toward God and we're seeking the glory of God, Jesus is saying, then go. Then go and look at the speck in your brother's eye. You say, Kevin, what about this log and speck thing? Are there degrees of sin? In their manifestation and in their effect on other people, yes, there are degrees. Stealing a pencil has a lot less effect on other people than murdering someone. But they're both sin because they come out of selfish motives. They come out of sinful motives. So yes, there are degrees of manifestation. But in their effect on our eternal status, there is not a difference. Hope you understand what I mean when I'm saying that this morning. And once we address the log that is in our eyes so that we can go then address the speck that is in our brother's eye, we don't stop there. When our hearts are truly turned toward Christ, we are wanting, even though it's not going to happen because we're not going to be perfect in this life, our desire should be looking toward perfection, looking toward the standard that Christ set. And in the midst of that, to bring others along with us. But in the midst of that, we have to make decisions about people and their motives. I'm not going to use the word judgment because Christ didn't. The judgment word was for a negative uh, connotation. It was saying that we were self-righteous and self-centered, as we said. No, we have to make decisions. We have to discern why people do the things they do. Why, as we talked about a couple weeks ago with our finances... We have to discern why do they have the house they have? Why do they have the car they have? And we have to discern, is there something that we are called to lovingly point out to them? Why do they go the places that they go? Why do they say the things they say? Why do they involve themselves in the activities that they involve themselves in? We are not called to make snap judgments and classify them. We are to use those things as possible symptoms and to discern heart issues that may need to be addressed in their lives. That requires relationship. That requires getting to know them. That requires them trusting you and knowing that you're not coming at them in some self-centered, some self-righteous way, but that your attitudes, your motivation is to help them, to teach them, to help them in their journey of sanctification. That's a tall order. Those decisions are to be for the good of that person and the glory of God. To help them, as we said earlier, from sin to holiness. That's our goal in addressing and discerning the motives of other individuals. Not to set ourselves above them, 
but to, but to bring them to walk with them in deeper relationship with their Savior. Our text today calls us to make decisions. Yes, it opens with do not judge, but it ends with an interesting verse, doesn't it? Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. By default, that means we have to determine who are the dogs and who are the pigs. There's discernment that we must make. But we first have to discern our own heart motives. Why do we want to call out this person's sin? Is it for their good or for our glory? What is our motive for calling out their sin? How do we discern these things? How do we know? Well, the author of Hebrews calls for a level of spiritual maturity. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It takes time. That's not a license to be ignorant, but is an encouragement, and it brings hope to know that I may not know now, but as I read Scripture, as I go to God in prayer, as I observe the actions and attitude and, and the words of those around me, I will learn, I will be able to discern for the purpose of bringing others to a deeper walk with Christ. As I said, it takes time. It takes effort. We have to study. We have to listen to others. We have to walk with others so that we can learn, so that we can discern. It takes love, unconditional love, because these individuals, as they're walking, as they're growing, they're going to do some pretty mean things to us, some pretty cruel things to us. So it takes that agape, unconditional love, choosing to love them despite the way they treat us. It takes grace, the power to draw on the divinity of God. It takes humility. As I said before, admitting and understanding and living like it's not about us. Understanding that we're not perfect. Understanding that we don't know it all. Understanding that in the, in the process of discerning others, we're going to make some mistakes and we're going to learn from those mistakes. And often it's going to be a two steps forward and one step back process. That's where the humility comes in. But it's a whole lot easier to jump to conclusions, isn't it? That person said that certain phrase or said that about me because this is the way they feel. It's a whole lot easier to jump to conclusions at the time, to make a snap judgment, rather than to discern the attitudes, the motives of a person's heart. It's easier to get defensive than to examine ourselves, isn't it? When someone comes to us, it's a lot easier to explain away why we did what we did than to listen to what they're trying to tell us and ultimately what God may be trying to tell us. They may come to us in an imperfect way and in a sinful way. But as Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God will expose things in our hearts 
Just as scripture says, as iron sharpens iron. It's less important, much less important of how they approach us as to what God is trying to show us in the midst of it. Jesus, in this text, has called out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's challenged them to examine themselves and then go. To, in the best of their ability in this fallen world, to purge themselves of their sinful motives and then go walk with their brothers and sisters to bring them to salvation, to sanctification, to obedience. Are you a hypocrite this morning? Do you care only about the sins of other people when exposing them makes you look better? Is that your motive of going on fact-finding missions to find, you know, if someone has wronged you and you're going to go find some dirt on them? Happens in politics a lot, doesn't it? We need to find some dirt so we can discredit this person so their, their words don't mean as much. Is that your motive? Or is it because addressing their sin will improve your circumstances in some way? Maybe if they're knocked down a few rungs, then it'll give you a better position at work. If your friends at school are exposed for who they really are, then, then you'll get to be the popular person in your circle of friends. Is that your motive? Is that what drives you? This morning, how do you respond when someone confronts your sin? Do you first look to discredit them? Do you pull Matthew 7, 1 out of your back pocket and say, judge not. You're being judgmental. Don't judge me. Or do you look for what God is telling you? It hurts sometimes because they do come in pretty wretched ways, saying some pretty harsh words and throwing out some pretty tough accusations. But do you step back and say, okay, God, this is hard. This really hurts. But what are you showing me in the midst of this? What are you teaching me, God? God, I believe you're sovereign. I believe that you'll take care of me. I know that this can't destroy me. But God, what are you trying to tell me? Because I'm having a really hard time with this individual right now because of the inconsistencies. I want to, in fact, measure them in the way that they're measuring me, to judge them in the way that they're judging me. Or do you step back and say, God, this is hard, but what are you trying to teach me? What about, let's take it to another level, if people approach you about your children or about your grandchildren? First of all, they should go to them first, if they're of age. But if they're not of age and they're coming to you as their authority, what is your first response? Do you kick in defensive mode? Do you go through this whole process of trying to discredit the person who's come? Or do you genuinely step back and ask yourself, okay, what, what am I supposed to learn out of this? What is God trying to show me through this? How do you this morning address the sin of others? How do you confront them? Do you find yourself excited to call someone out? Oh, I've got some juicy dirt on this person. I'm going to go call him out on it. 
They think they're so high and mighty, so righteous, so pious. I'm going to knock them down a few runs. Or does it grieve your heart? When you hear something about someone or you witness, most importantly, something about someone, does it grieve your heart? Does it bring you almost to the point of tears because you know the discontentment that's in their hearts? Because you know what it's costing them? Do you have an urgency to go to them, to restore them to a point of deep relationship and fellowship with Christ? Is that your motive to understand their motives? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself in the midst of this, lest you too be tempted. Brothers and sisters, this morning we are not alone, and we are not intended to be alone. We are called to walk alongside of each other, and in an attitude of love and mercy to help each other, to be overcomers, to be restored from the fallenness of this world. We have the privilege of walking this life together. The key is to keep looking to God and to point others to Him. Are you doing that this morning? Are you caving to the temptation of pushing others down? to give the illusion of lifting yourself up? Do you approach life, do you approach others with an attitude of judgment or an attitude of love, seeking to bring others up, to lift others up, to see God glorified in them? I encourage you this morning that if you walk in life and you feel like you're judged, you're so judged, I want to ask you, is that because you're judging others? Is it because there's a guilt in your heart and you know how you treat others so you just genuinely suspect that they're treating you the same way? I encourage you this morning to break that trend. To be in prayer and ask God to change your heart first. To be humble and willing to call your sin, sin. And then to step out and walk alongside other brothers and sisters. Help them to see their sin that they might be restored and that God might be glorified. I leave you with that exhortation this morning. Make it about God and not about yourself. God loves us unconditionally. He has established standards for us, not to oppress us or bind us up, but to give us a solid foundation to stand on. If we were limited to, be, to base our, our contentment, our rest, on man-made standards, it would be and is a moving target and will bring us no rest and will bring us no contentment. But God has given us his standards to base our lives on and to point others to. I encourage you to seek that for yourselves and to seek that for others this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you again for this truth. We thank you for the prompting on our hearts to not be judgmental, to not jump to conclusions, to not seek to put others down so that we, in an illusion, lift ourselves up. God, give us hearts of love, but give us hearts of intention to help others to be pointed to you for their good and for your glory. 
God, I praise you for the power through your spirit to do that. I praise you for the gift of your standards, the gift of your example to base our lives on and to point others to, Father. God, this morning we praise you and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.